0: Welcome to the HR Happy Hour Network. This is the Inclusion Crusade with me, Sarah Morgan. I am on a mission to create workplaces where employees feel safe, seen, and supported one episode at a time. So, as you all know, for the past few episodes, I have been during Black History Month and Women's History Month because for me, those are my intersecting identities. And so those months all, all just blend together into one big celebration of greatness. Um, and I have been focused on talking about Black women who have faced hardship, job loss, um, due to their outspokenness online about racial incidents in their workplace. And as I wrapped up this series with my final interview, I realized that there was one more story that I needed to tell. And that was my own. Um, Because I had some really interesting experiences during my time in corporate America. And that really has led me to do this work. And so I brought in A very special guest. I want to welcome back Charlie Pleasant, who was back, who was with us not long ago as a guest. Um, She is a licensed clinical social worker um, who works with Black women and people of other marginalized identities in getting healed and whole. And she is also a workplace consultant uh, working with organizations across the nation um, in employee wellness centering on their employees of marginalized identities. And so you all know Charlie and I have been friends for 20 plus years. We are Soros and Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. And I asked her to be my interviewer um, as I share this story with you all. And so, um, and hang on till the end, no matter what, even if you, you get exhausted with us and our shenanigans, hang on till the (laughs) end, because I do have a very special announcement related to her. And I want to make sure that you don't miss it. So Charlie, welcome to
1: the Inclusion Crusade. Yay! Um, so I'm happy to be back. I'm happy to be back, and I'm really excited about the um the series that you've been doing for Black History Month and really centering the experiences of um Black women, but probably also experiences of people of color in the workplace as well too. Yeah, and um and just really bringing that to the center and thank and having you. some really meaningful conversation about that. Yeah,
0: thank you so all right I am turning the reins over to you my friend and okay. as we said in pre-show nothing no questions are off limits so okay. you do your thing I am your subject and here we go y'all <laughs> like, hang in here like, I know y'all hang in here with us this is switching it I up. feel like
1: I'm in session I feel like I'm having a session with the client right now
0: I and know these interviews they they can't they do feel like that sometimes because yeah for sure okay
1: all right, I'm All right, so we talked a lot. Um, it, a lot of people won't know that what we talked about, kind of off air. I think it's befitting that 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 Sarah is actually wrapping up this particular series with her own story about her experience in corporate America. Um, I had the opportunity to be able to read through what she sent me, and y'all, this is textbook of what not to do when it comes to a workplace. I, it had every <laughs> element of. A well-placed F-bomb could be placed right here. I mean, that's just how yeah. incredible this particular story was. So we t- we thought it was a great idea as we wrap this up, talking about wellness in the workplace, talking about women in the workplace and, w- and what African-American women or Black women or women of color experience in the workplace by Sarah sharing her, her own story. So that's where we're going to start right now. We're going to start with just me asking you, Sarah, tell me... Based on what you shared with me there was a lot of events that was culminating mm-hmm. up to what led to your exit from this company mm-hmm. back in 2019. So help our viewers understand a little bit about your experience and what what you went through during that time. So
0: I began working for the organization 2014-15 and I can truly say the first few years were some of the best in my career I finally felt like I had an environment where I was being mentored where where my value as a people expert was being utilized from the mm. moment that I got there in this you know this is before it was cool we were talking about pay equity we were talking about development of employees. We were talking about how we make an inclusive work environment, how we take better care of our, for us, it was field level employees that were performing essential services and how, you know, we make sure that they have financial freedom and security Mm -hmm. in their lives. Mm -hmm. And so I was loving doing that work. And I still had my blog um, that I was writing and I was writing for a couple of other publications at the side at the time they knew that and they were supportive of that read the articles discussed them. With me, even when there were moments where something that I wrote made them uncomfortable, it's like, hey, I read this. Is this something that you're experiencing here? Do we need to talk about it? Is this a way? Is there a way that we can do better? Or, you know, I read this and it made me think about how we do XYZ a thing here. And I feel like we need to address that to get
1: more on a more progressive track. That was. it sounds like that they were encompassing your your humanity in your job sure. when you first got here. Like, hey, we have this employee or associate that's, that have these interests outside of or that pairs well with what we're trying mm-hmm. to do. Let's see if we can tap some of this to also improve our cost. So you guys are a little bit of, above at that time. Mm-hmm. We were ahead margins. of the curve. Yeah. 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 And I was
0: so excited, you know, to be doing that work. Um, I was I also had an amazing team around me that was super diverse, you know, LGBTQ plus representation, older workers, young younger workers. Um a good mixture of people of color, I, you know, it was just such an exciting time. And then the organization goes through a merger and slowly but surely, you know, all of that started to unravel. Um, and this
1: is not the first time that I've actually heard this experience yeah. of people having these amazing experiences within corporate America, because there are pockets within corporate America where folks are doing it right.
0: They're mm-hmm. actually
1: they're, they're actually doing it right. What has been something that I've heard over time, as I've worked with maybe um, individuals that are in C-suite positions in my private practice that come see me because they're dealing with stress, anxiety, burnout, different things like that. Yeah. It oftentimes come around the area of a merger, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering what's being missed right in the crux of when one company is actually buying out another company or absorbing another company, mm-hmm. where the messaging of how to take care of the culture just falls off completely.
0: That's exactly what the problem is, is that the the messaging about how we're going to do this from a cultural standpoint was not properly considered. And when that happens in, like in acquisitions, it's easy because the company that bought the other one is gonna take the lead and that's that. When you're merging, you're trying to take ideally, the best of both organizations and mush those together to make something greater than the two organizations when they were separate. And in our case, we did not do a good job of defining that from a cultural standpoint. Processes, we did amazing you know, financial tracking and those sorts of things, we did amazing. But when it came to the area of how we lead people, how we treat people, what policies are going to, you know, reign and rule in this, mm-hmm. in this new normal, we had a lot of infighting. And I was trying to lead from the perspective of what we had been doing. Um, and the conversations that I had been having with our executive leadership about how we wanted to move forward and how we wanted to things to look and the new leadership was not 100% on board with that and so there were times where we were collectively in the room quote-unquote the room
1: right right
0: and the conversations are great and then when we leave the room the messaging that gets delivered to the next level of management and so on and so forth is not the same as what we discussed in the room. And so then there's confusion and there's a lot of pressure on me because I'm human resources that we have to find a way to keep the peace and keeping the peace, hmm, quotations again, (laughs) a lot of times means compromise and compromise in those sorts of situations often comes at the expense of people and culture and their experiences. And so that's what was happening to us. And slowly, but surely all of those great efforts that we had made to become a more progressive cutting edge workplace and what we were doing just got withered away and withered away and withered away until I felt like I didn't recognize what I was doing anymore. And then we had one more shift in leadership
1: yeah
0: I feel like that was 2017 2018 Mm -hmm. um and that's when it really kind of blew the doors off of what happened because those leaders who I had worked with so closely a few of them retired and the other ones were moved out of the organization altogether you know nice lovely golden parachutes to go Mm -hmm often do something else or nothing else whatever y'all want to do
1: so it Um, sounds like what was talked about in good faith efforts in conversations as the merger or acquisition was taking place did not equate to any type of policy Mm -hmm. around the um the civility workplace civility and culture yeah and then a lot of things just kind of got lost in that so i remember you sharing with me if if it's okay for me to share here Mm -hmm. The, the CEO that you once worked under had then um, had stepped down or been yep. displaced from his position and there was new leadership that came in. And it sounds like from this place, that's like you said, every, the the doors completely blew open with yeah. yep. a culture from how I read it and understood it is a culture that was already pervasive. It was yep. already happening. They just brought it to another they place.
0: They brought it to, a, to another yeah. place. And yeah. I think that... Um, You know, that just wasn't for me, it wasn't the type of culture that I wanted to be a part of because there was a lot of political infighting, um, Mm -hmm. a lot of power play with one another. And we'd had a culture that was super collaborative and very much about the importance of making sure that everybody's needs were met and honored. In spaces, And we didn't call, like, these all sound like very, like, fluffy, flowery terms, right? We didn't call it those things, but that was, that was just the way that we
1: operated. That was just like the way. It was way. A consideration. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was the consideration across the board of how yeah. it works civilly with your colleagues.
0: And we, as a, a group of leaders within our original organization, were very intentional about being that way with one another. Like, I can remember when I came on board, us having leadership meetings and setting rules about how it is that we're going to operate with each other because our boss told us our competition is outside these doors, not inside these doors. Mm-hmm. Inside mm-hmm. these doors, we are one. Inside these doors, we are a team, and everybody plays their position. And nobody's position is more important than the other. So we have to stay on the same page with one another and make sure that we're treating each other with with dignity, that we're treating each other with respect, that mm-hmm. our word is our bond, that we stay in integrity. Like those things were just really enforced mm-hmm. to us. And all of that suddenly, you know, got lost in a lot of, you know, politics and kind of um. It was just like a lot of power positioning. And I had done that at other points in my career. It just wasn't how I was interested in working anymore. And I kept trying to influence us back to a more moderate place. Like, can we find a middle? Because we didn't bring these organizations together because one was more successful than the other. Like nobody was failing, nobody was struggling, but the organization's were thriving, our organization was actually larger and covered more geographical territory, had was we had the largest footprint, the highest revenue, so on and so forth of the group, which is why yeah. the name retained the majority of the staff retained, and our existing leaders remained in their, you know, various positions. And so it's like, how then do we decide that the organization with the largest footprint, the most success like we were winning awards for our culture. Yeah. We were yeah. a nationally ranked employer on several lists monster.com, yeah. glassdoor.com. Like that didn't happen by accident. That happened that's, by that's intention. intentionality.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that happened yeah. by
0: intention. And so how do we go from mm-hmm. that to where we are right now? And yeah it became and the more outspoken that i became about things related to the people functions the more i found myself getting pushed out of the conversation
1: and so i want to get to that i'm glad that you pivoted in that way because one of the things that you shared in your story with me was about how behind closed doors people will call you or refer to you as um and I and I might be uh, just paraphrasing here, but I guess the moral compass that they didn't want, mm-hmm. um, and and or Miss Goody Two Shoes, or just whatever that might have been, that um, because you were actually doing your job, and I wanted <laughs> to that that's one of the things that came up for me was well, first even before we get into that, talk to me about how you begin to experience the decomposition or decline. At work, what were some of the things that were happening in the environment that just completely there was actually this, led to it led to legal ramifications. That's exactly where it had to go.
0: Yeah. It it was a it was a very difficult time. Um, we experienced turnover because people on the team were like, I'm yeah. not dealing with this. So we lost, you know, key people. There was a lot of um, just fear around saying the wrong thing or the right thing to the wrong person, and having it be twisted into something like if everything was a bad game of telephone, and it's that yeah, that yeah. type of situation where you can't just pick up the phone and have a conversation with somebody. If you do, then you, as soon as you hang that phone up, you better send an email talking about per our conversation, you know, and now it becomes, I'm constantly uh, covering, tracking. Yeah, it's constantly covering your butt. It's constantly copying everybody and they, they mama and uncle on messages to make sure that, again, your your butt is covered and nothing can be, you know, your words can't be misrepresented. Those sorts of things in an environment, in, in a working environment are toxic and exhausting. Yeah. Um, and for me, being in the HR role, I'm watching people leave. I'm watching people be incredibly stressed out. Yeah. Um, I'm watching yeah. people, you know, facing illness and, you know, things like that. Things that you know are related to stress, panic attacks, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, yeah back problems and you know illness and things like that and then of course I went through my own illnesses Mm -hmm. but I know we'll talk about that but I um and I felt powerless to be able to help and and constantly pushing against it because the the righteousness in me is telling me that if I can just say the right thing if I can just convey it properly. You know, we tell HR people, you got to make the business case. You have to understand how the business works. You have to speak the language of leaders. Like we, we push all of this on HR, Mm -hmm. as the reason why we have, you know, why we at times are ineffective and not included in things. It's because you don't know this and you don't know, well, I knew all those things. I had a master's degree. I had, you know, I understood finance. I understood account because I worked alongside those people within the organizations. I knew how our, our budget worked. I knew Mm -hmm. how our payroll worked. I supervised payroll. So I understood how all of those things came together. I understood operations. I worked with them. I did their, I worked with them on their training plans. Sure. I understood recruiting. I was running recruiting. I knew how we were bringing people into the organization. I understood customer service. I sat with those groups. So now I am, you know, I've done all the things. Yeah. I've done all the things that they tell you that you're supposed to do as an HR person to be welcomed and accepted and adopted as somebody to have voice within the business. And yet I'm not. And so now in my mind, I'm thinking, well, let me just like, I have to prove myself to these people, right? Like these leaders are new. They don't know me. Like I'm telling myself all the things, but in actuality, it's just that that my type of voice was Mm -hmm. not wanted. They did not Mm -hmm. want someone who was going to, advocate for fairness. They did not want someone who was going to point out that we were creating pay inequities in in terms of the way that we were bringing new people in. They didn't want they didn't want that. And
1: it, it, yeah, I had yeah. to
0: I had just had to come to that realization and that was hard because I was still doing my work on the outside. I'm writing for major publications i'm writing for fast company i'm writing for black enterprise i'm being quoted in medium and and cnn like those are the places that i I remember at one point forbes comes to me and wants me to join one of their um their council for hr leaders and i felt like a complete fraud because here I am in this organization. I can't influence them to do nothing. But yet when I leave here, I have all this social media influence. So right, right. Which, which one is the real me? Is the real so, me the one working from five to nine? Or is the real me one the one working from nine to five? And I was completely blown away
1: with that. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because that's one of the things that i work with when we talk about when I'm, when I'm working with, um, I work with a lot of women, a lot of black women and women of color that are in corporate America, whether mm-hmm. they be, um, mid-level, mid-management, C-suites. That's one of the things that I really work to do immediately when they come in. And, and I love that you're even talking about the conversation is like, which one is the real me? The, the honest answer is all of it's all the real of it. Me. Mm-hmm. What's happening is that in there, there. We oftentimes people of color and specifically black women and black men, but I'm focusing on women because that's, that's my speciality as well too. But um, we find ourselves in corporations that are not wanting to make that shift. Mm-hmm. It's, it's actually the corporation that that's invested in the toxicity of the, of, of the way that it runs. Mm-hmm. So I was working with um, when I was doing some consulting for a pretty large tech firm. That was one of the things when I went in to do, um, just some consulting, some DEI consulting work, and just listening to the stories of um, persons of color and their experiences. In there, what I heard over and over and over and over, and I can't tell you just over again, <laughs> was how corporations value the, the they 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 prop up what they term or what we see what I term as the valuable asshole. So you mm. can come into the organization and completely annihilate. Or just spew toxicity all over the place. Mm-hmm. But you're valuable to the organization because of what you can bring, what you can produce, because everybody's looking at productivity. People are not looking at, I, I hate the word human capital of, mm-hmm. of, of, of using that, but they're not looking at the at the humanity of the people that are in those organizations. Yeah. So I can act terrible. I can mm-hmm. act and show up and behave poorly, and it won't be checked mm-hmm. because I because my leadership knows that I produce this bottom yep. line income. So if you're a corporation that's focused and all corporations are, let's not get this twisted. All yep. corporations are focused on the bottom line. Money is a part of this game, right? I would I would like to believe, and maybe for some people it's not, you know, with Amazon, they actually build this in to their, to their culture of mm-hmm. having people leave. Like, mm-hmm. the, it, it, I, I can't think There's of an the There's it's this, an expectation. There's an expectation that- yeah. Poor behavior is going to happen here and we build it into our infrastructure, which is a problem in and of itself. It, um, yeah. that, that that's a that's a whole
0: problem. episode.
1: <laughs> right. That's a whole there, there are organizations that build into mm-hmm. their funding or build into their they they have line items for litigation around discrimination. If you're building that into the infrastructure of your organization, that's you're a already point. saying that I'm willing to lose money and I'm gonna actually set aside a money, set aside a pot of money so people can behave and show up poorly in mm-hmm. our organization. You got to have a real conversation about that. For sure. So, with your organization, and, and what I remember reading about this was this was just leadership that was committed to toxicity. Yeah. They were committed. They were actually invested and committed in in protecting every the sexual harassment, the racial discrimination, mm-hmm. the gender, um, the gender discrimination, the ageism that mm-hmm. was happening. Mm-hmm. They were actually committed to that. So, what immediately stood out for me was. With you, Sarah, you are HR. Right. You're the person that everybody comes to or people within the organization comes to, to, to air grievances, to look for resolutions. You're the mm-hmm. space that, that, that we're told when we're working in these spaces that this is an HR thing. And yet you find yourself at the um, being blocked on just many fronts by the mm-hmm. leadership within the organization, whereas you didn't have the remedy Mm -hmm. to actually take care of yourself and then other members of your organization. Mm -hmm. Talk, talk to the listeners a little bit about what outside when, when your HR and your leadership is, 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 is committed to not allowing you to investigate, investigate, not allowing you to do your your job. What are the remedies at that point? (sighs) What are the the remedies, what are the outside remedies that are available to members within organization when leadership are the, it's the actual leadership that's creating the toxicity.
0: So back then, I thought legal action would be, you know, the way um, we talk about, uh, you know, the government agencies that are here to investigate um, matters of, you know, pay inequity and discrimination and those sorts of things in the workplace. And back then. that's what I thought was you know the proper way um now I realize having gone through that process um and some of that I can't go into too much detail because because it is litigious but what I will say is that that I've learned that that process is really broken too Mm. um and that there is not, that your healing is not in that process. Mm -hmm. So what I, and I don't discourage people from doing that because I think that legal accountability um, is is an important part of this process. Mm -hmm. But what I have learned, and what one thing I'll say is what I wish I had done differently is I wish I had used the social media platforms that I had built better, in that moment, because, um, viral, going viral for organizations is more terrifying than being sued in this day and age. Mm-hmm. And so yes. I would say, you know, people are like, Oh, you can go write a bad review on Glassdoor. Don't do that. Take it to your Facebook, take it to your Twitter, um, okay. tag the people and, you know, and be intentional about utilizing your social, whatever social media reach that you have. It doesn't take much for um, a post to catch on There's and go viral. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so don't be afraid to utilize that. I see every day in my groups on, particularly in my groups on Facebook um, and occasionally in my groups on LinkedIn, so much sharing from people of color, black women about mm-hmm. the craziness that they go through in workplaces from the interview process to exiting the organization and every point in in between yeah, yeah. so much and i often think to myself if you would just call it call out the organization specifically and make this post public you have no idea you know what mm-hmm. but i think we are fearful of what i'm not i think i know we are fearful of what impact that's going to have on us is because in many cases we're not we gotta find another job and so we're we're fearful yeah Yeah. the retaliation comes but then also other organizations being fearful of working with you because now you have now you're the one that went viral you know now you're the one who put the business out there and we heard that from yeah the other guests as a part of this series, every single one of them now are working as an entrepreneur, even though that wasn't their intention on how they set out. They wanted to be in academia. They wanted to be in corporate America. They wanted to be in healthcare, They wanted to be in whatever industry it was. But when they stood up publicly against the practices, they be- suddenly became unemployable. Because that next job doesn't want to end up on the end, you know, the other end of of you if, if you are wronged in their organization and that organizations fear that, you know, again, going back to your original statement about organizations setting aside money to settle claims like that organizations fear that should be a clue. That something in, (laughs) in your culture, something in house is not right. Like if that's That's something that you're legitimately uh, worried about that would make you not employ someone, you should be concerned, but you know, that's neither here nor there. I knew, you know, I, that wasn't the reputation that I wanted to have. And so as I, you know, started to look for another job and thought about how am I going to support myself and my family? And, you know, I just knew that that wasn't something that I could do in that moment, but I, Mm -hmm. in retrospect, I wonder if I would have found better support and a faster path towards Mm -hmm. feeling healing again, if I had gone that direction. And so I would encourage people to give that
1: some thought. Yeah. That the healing Um, isn't necessarily found in the legal ramifications, but exploring sometimes walking away silently is the best form of healing that can Mm -hmm. take place. Um, it doesn't mean it's, it's, not a nod to our inability to fight. It's a matter of strategically understanding that there are better uses for our energy yeah. than perhaps actually pursuing that. And then there are some people that are built for the smoke. Like they yes. are, like they are. And, and I, I love those people as well too. Yes. There are some that are built for the smoke and we'll take, and we'll take it and we'll mm-hmm. push, push that. We know that, um, Um, it's a, it's a a lawyer. I want, I can't call her name right off, but I'll be happy to give this information to you so you can add it in the show notes, but I'm Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if a lot of people are aware, but it hasn't been getting a lot of, um, at least a lot of, um, like media notoriety of the big lawsuit that's happening with the Metro DC Police, and which mm-hmm. being bought it's a class action lawsuit. It's the first of its kind for Black women that were in that space that experienced discrimination mm. from the rec- from the the recruitment of when you're preparing to even go to be a policeman or a policewoman up into what was happening in practice. It's, it's, it's a it's a it's a it's the first of its kind. This person is built for that type of smoke. Yeah, that's yeah. a huge that is a huge Huge undertaking. undertaking. Yeah. So, so if there, so understand, and what I like to tell a lot of the um, women that I work with that are in these spaces that feel like that they, that they want to do something is that the best, something that you can all oftentimes offer yourself is the something that you can do for yourself, understanding Mm -hmm. that you don't have to take on the ills of all of this, because what all you're right. not find even though it might fit, even though you, in in your case, I know you you talk very specifically in the the the, the particular people that were um, targeting you um, mm-hmm. or leaving you out or giving you misinformation to meetings and different things, so it can it's intentional sabotage. I like to I like to bring the the focus of that out to understand that it's really aside of it being those type of microaggressions that are taking mm-hmm. place this is a large, this, uh, some, a large systemic thing. And Mm -hmm. sometimes Mm -hmm. that's often bigger than us. Yeah. That is often bigger than us. And I, and, and, what pairs what, what pairs well with keeping systemic racism and discrimination in place in organizations is not creating the critical mass of Black people and people of color in those places. Right. Because if you create enough of the mass that's in those places, our issues become more salient versus yes, yes. this is just one person that has this one odd. odd. Now, if, if there's enough of us there and this is a story... It's not that th- it, it helps with that internalization of what's happening, mm-hmm. saying that these are the things that happen external in our environment. And that was another thing that um, I had asked you about in, in, in what I gave you uh, pre-show is the importance of externalizing yeah. what's happening in that environment. Um, going back to what you were asking earlier, you know, which is the real me, the nine to five or the five, nine. Mm-hmm. all of it's the real you. It's actually the environment that's completely just awful. Yeah, it's awful. I wanted to take a moment just to kind of pause for a pause since we're right on here talking about this is a book that I've actually um shared uh with clients and I'm working with, but it's called shut them down black women racism in corporate America, Ooh. and I give and it's a story It's it's a compilation of stories of black women that are in corporate America and what they've experienced. The gamut oh, of everything—that's Dr. That's Kerry. I, I, I just realized. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, So, so she put this together. One of one of our soars actually brought this to act to my attention because mm-hmm. she's one of the contributing author, authors in here. I'll um, she gave me an extra copy. I'll send that to you. Yeah, um, Okay. I'll send that to you. But I I offer this as a read again. Is shut them down, Black women, racism in corporate America, presented by Dr. Carrie Yazid. Yeah, I offered this because it's a great place to start of hearing everybody else's story yeah. so you can begin to understand that it's not happening in a vacuum to you yeah. it's not just you with this organization this is across the board mm-hmm. and that helps mm-hmm. t- and it's a, it's a process that I like to work with my clients and helping take that energy outside of your body to see it's actually happening in mm-hmm. other places mm-hmm. and that because that's the one thing that we do is blame ourselves for what's happening
0: yeah yeah, and he, and me as much as I know about this subject matter, and as as much as I've studied and written and talked about all of this, I still internalized it, yeah, you know. Yeah, and I there was yeah. still and there was still very much an active part of me that felt like, well, ain't this ain't about me. you know that I can overcome it. Like yeah. you know, I can overcome this because yeah. I you, because yeah. I know the things and I've read the books and I've done. No, you you can't. And I love what you said about you know that they're that walking away is is an okay option. And here's yeah. one one thing that I have learned is that similarly to victims of sexual assault, victims of workplace harassment need I'll say longer statute of limitations with which Mm. to come forward Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. right now most of the um laws guidelines in place give you 180 days from the incident six months Mm.
1: that's six months
0: that ain't no time. It's really not. You're
1: recovering. You're recovering during that time. Like you're like, and you know
0: this, like your, your nervous system has not even
1: regulated itself
0: to the point where it can be ready. And so for it simply wasn't, it simply is just not enough time. I understand wanting the opportunity to, you know, the sooner that, that issues get reported, the sooner that you can investigate, you don't want people to leave, you don't want evidence to get lost or deleted. Like, I understand all the logical reasons as to why it's important to report issues as quickly as possible. However, Mm -hmm. we are losing the humanity in that process by not realizing the way that people respond to trauma and mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. the need for time for, yeah. in some of those instances to allow for people to come back to themselves and, and make a decision, like you said, if I'm if I want the smoke or not, mm-hmm. because at the time that all of this happened, I was not prepared. I was not ready to endure the smoke. I wanted to. I wanted all the
1: smoke. Yeah, but
0: physiologically,
1: your body was like absolutely, absolutely not. not. See, yeah, go
0: go and, sit down somewhere.
1: Yeah, and you and, talked about you you mentioned that earlier about the panic attacks and the anxiety mm-hmm, and the mm-hmm. back spasms, all of which are clear physiological responses to what's happening in your yeah. environment it takes time for your body to begin to understand that the environment is no longer a threat Threat to you. But also when we talk about PTSD, it's the mere Mm -hmm. thought of that actually happening. So because you have a couple of things that are competing at the same time. So say Mm -hmm. if you're in this type of environment, you make the decision to leave to your point, how am I going to take care of my family? How am I going to make money to continue up my lifestyle? So There's also that fear that gets exaggerated, uh, rightfully so, when thinking about going to a new corporation, and which is why a lot of people stay. do I deal with the devil that I know or do I deal with the devil that I don't know? Mm -hmm. I don't know if I go into this new environment that I'm not going to have a lot of the same experience. So I freeze because I'm Mm -hmm. I'm actually frozen in -hmm. the space of the trauma that took place in this environment, which is actually a hindrance Mm -hmm. to, to... moving on to another place with more of a, with, with more of a cleaner slate, mm-hmm. emotional cleaner slate. Yeah. So it's, it's a couple of complete competing interests that are happening in that moment that doesn't allow for full recovery.
0: Yeah. And even in though you that- have an emotional clean slate in this new environment, you are still very tense mm-hmm. and you are still on hyper alert for any clue that is going to indicate to you that what was happening to you before is now happening to you again so I love that you called it PTSD that was the word I was searching for like Mm -hmm. that that PTSD like workplace PTSD is real and I hope that we continue to do more research and have more conversation about the impact of those sorts of things particularly on black women and other people of color and other marginalized mm-hmm. identities because the things that we carry with us um outside of, the work. outside of the work one of the the things that impacted me when i was in that environment the most so here we are in north carolina um in the middle of the whole bathroom bill fiasco mm-hmm. which required people who were um transgender or um didn't identify with the gender that they were assigned at birth to use the bathroom of the gender that they were assigned at birth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we had several transitioning employees in our organization at the time. And one of them in particular got, their the manager said, called them into the office. Now, can you imagine you just show up to work on, a, on, on your schedule shift like normal? You ain't even done, you ain't even made your coffee. And
1: right. your manager
0: calls <laughs> you into the office and says, you need to go talk to human resources so that they can tell you what bathroom you need to use now, because I don't know. Even though this person had been using the bathroom at work they were using it on Friday. So what is the problem on Monday? So, you know, they come into my office, we have this conversation and they broke down in tears Mm -hmm. because they felt unsafe.
1: Yeah.
0: And what do I say? You know, there's nothing that that individual at that time was so triggered because of experiences they had had in other workplaces coworkers who had attacked them and you know put notes on their desk and things like that and i you know i knew these stories because they had shared that with me and now they are in their mind and in their body they are right back in that place right. all because you decided for whatever reason that, that
1: this was appropriate this
0: was the appropriate thing to do you have no idea you know, the impacts that you can have on people. And we, that employee ended up resigning because yeah. not too long after that incident, because they no longer felt safe in the environment. And, and, and there was don't... nothing that we could do to make them feel safe again. And it yeah. was, it can be such a minor thing, but calling them out of, away from the rest of their coworkers and shipping them off to HR, like they were going to the principal's office, like they had done something wrong, you know, when all they did was just show up for work that day, they hadn't even used the bathroom, they hadn't been there long enough,
1: right, but that
0: sort of an incident, and that has stuck with me for years, because I don't ever want anyone to feel that way in the workplace but I know what that feels like you know right. I know what it feels like to be like oh yeah this is you know when people go through layoffs and and that are unexpected you know you come to work thinking it's going to be a regular day and you you know sometime mid morning or end of your day or whenever they decide to do it they they just release you from employment hmm. And mm-hmm. now every time you go to a new job and every time somebody walks in, you know, or calls you into a conference room or whatever, you a little bit tensed up those sorts of experiences. Like we don't have the right to traumatize people for their paycheck. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and we just happens, don't have the right to
1: do that. And it happens over and over and over again. And that goes back to that compounded trauma, even going mm-hmm. back to the employee who identifies as trans. Um, it sounds like it was a trans person of color and just understanding just the statistics that are out there. But the one thing that came to me immediately was how underemployed our trans population is, right. especially when it comes to people of color and what that means for economic security, if, they, if they're if they released or having to resign from a job mm-hmm. because of the, the mishandling of, mm-hmm. of them as a human being in the space. So it's not just you need in whoever, whatever manager's mind that might've been in, it wasn't just having a conversation with HR. It's a, it's a lack of understanding that this person brings with them systemic issues Mm -hmm. or, or experiences from systemic systems that, that, that informs how they move in this space. Right. And in that particular
0: instance, the manager hadn't even talked to me. So I didn't even know that this employee was going to show up. We both surprised and right. and in this situation, you know, and I'm doing everything that I can because I understand their what how upsetting this is for them in that yeah. moment, and I'm doing everything that I can to reassure them that nothing is changing and that they are safe in this environment, but there was nothing that I could do you know to change that yeah. perception, and so that's what that resulted in, and that person has
1: very little recourse. In terms of what they can do. It's not a federally protected class. Some states, some states honor it and Mm -hmm. that's very few and far between, but identifying um, as LGBT or trans is not, it's not a federal, for whatever reason, it's not a federally protected class. So there's no EEOC claim that you can go file for being maybe falsely, you know, um, released from an organization or, or or feeling like you were forced to resign due to some actions that were happening. In the workplace. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. So and a lot of people stay silent. Yeah. <laughs>
0: they stay, they and stay I think silent. that it's important to note that because even with the EEOC, and I'm not, you know, making these statistics up, if you can go to the EEOC website and download the report for yourself, the majority of the complaints that come through the EEOC are white women and Christians. Really? So when you look at the people who are complaining, There is far less people of color. You're not, you know, disability claims, even within the disability claims, the disability claims tend to be white people and not people of color. Mm -hmm. So because we are accustomed to being marginalized, accustomed to not being believed, accustomed to not being taken seriously, not listened to, we're not the ones filing the complaints. Right. And you know don't don't be mad at me pull the report up it's it's on the EEOC website the data yeah. is right there it's not yes. us it's not yes. us
1: filing any ha- claims and we have too much to lose collectively and individually um economically for again going back to a point you made earlier during the, the during the interview of when we do sound the alarm the mm-hmm. stuff that comes all of the stuff that comes with that loss of income yep. um not being promoted or promotion track being somehow denied or veered off yep. um lack of sponsorship, no one wanting to work with you in an so, organization yeah. so you can grow um all of these that re- retaliation uh again micro microaggressions on on a whole on, on various levels yep. that that are happening and so if if you're in that space and you're wanting to take care of yourself the the difficulty of actually doing that and coming out of it coming out of it unscathed is damn near impossible mm-hmm. i see i see it sitting in my office often often yeah week often. after
0: week yeah
1: yeah for yeah. sure for sure it's in my office often